Great to have you guys here. Thanks for being here with us. And it's been a while. I've had to kind of knock, knock the rust off since I've been up here preaching. It's good to be back. And so had a great time, had some good vacation, got to chase my wife around Cozumel a little bit. That was fun. I mean, chasing's okay. It's the catching that's the real fun, but you know, but <laughs> had a great time with that. And so glad to be back though. And it's great to be here. It's kind of a new experience today when my son came to me and my Mason, he came up and he said, dad, happy Father's Day. And I got to look at him and say, and happy Father's Day to you because we have a baby coming. We're excited about that. A grandbaby. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Man, I'm so excited about that. It's just like time just flies and it's going to be great. But uh, we're just honored to have you guys here. And again, Thanks for joining us today. You know, I'm going to do something a little different today, if that's okay. I just really felt led. A couple of months ago, God put this on my heart. I really don't want to talk to fathers today. I want to talk to you as a father, if that's okay. I just really feel led to speak to you as a father and to pour into you. Uh, what's really crazy is I remember when we first started the church, Mason was six weeks old when we moved to town to plant the church. And so everyone was young. We were all new, new, newlyweds and then new, new fathers and mothers. And so, but now I've been at the same church long enough now that the next generation is having children. So it's really cool to see that. So I get to speak now kind of as a grandfather and as a, as a father of older children. So I just want to talk to you guys today, if that's okay, and just speak to you. And so, because I believe right now there is a male crisis in our culture. I really believe that. So I want to talk about that today a little bit and just teach you guys some things straight out of God's word because God is very clear on what it is to be a man, how to live our lives, how to be as fathers and husbands. And I just want to touch on that today. And so back in 1982, January 13th specifically, there was a flight coming out of Washington, D.C. Air, it was uh, Air Florida 90 was flying out and uh, they clipped a bridge, the 14th Street Bridge on the way up and uh, it took them down and they landed in the Potomac. When they did that, a man that was driving across that bridge, uh, he was, it almost hit him, but he saw the flight go into the water. He immediately, just instinct, got out of his car. It's freezing cold. The Potomac is frozen over. Gets out of his car, throws off his coat. He's just going into work in D.C. and runs and jumps into the water and swims to the plane. Right about that time, the, uh, it opens. People start jumping out, and he starts rescuing people and pulling them to the side. A news crew see this happening. And so they immediately start filming it. Now they take it live all across the nation. And so this guy is all over the nation just rescuing people. He just keeps going back in the water, bringing someone else back in the water, back and forth. And there's a mom with her little kids in getting, ready for, getting ready for school. She turns on her TV news and she's watching. She sees this grainy you know, news station, some guy going out in the water. And she just turns to her girls and says, that looks like something your father would do. <laughs> Two hours later, she founds out it was their father. Because that's what dads do. Dads do what is necessary in the moment to help out, right? That's what we do, men. We, we just help out. We just jump in whenever there's a need. Scripture says in 2 Samuel, it says this, Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people. God wants us to play the role that he's called us to play as men. So I want to talk about that today. I'm excited about today's message. I thought if we're going to really talk about what does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a father, what does it mean to, to, to be a husband? Then let's go back to Genesis 1. Now, what's really cool about Genesis 1 is God lays out a blueprint of what we're supposed to do. But this is even before sins entered the world. So we know this is exactly what he wanted. And so this is before we corrupted it, right? So let's look and see what God has to tell all of us today. And I believe, ladies, that this is a message for you as well, of course. I believe you're going to find good things in this as well. But I really do want to speak to the men today. I just feel really strongly about this. It says in Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sea, uh, and, sorry, the birds in the sky 
and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So we're supposed to reign over all the animals and all the hunters said, amen. Right. So, but what is this telling us? This is telling us that God wants us to dominate, to reign. What does that mean to, to dominate? It means that he wants to give you dominion. Would you write this down? Men and women were built by God to take dominion. What does that mean? It means authority over your lives. You're not supposed to let your circumstances happen to you. You're supposed to make things happen in your circumstances. God wants us to take control of our lives. So I just want to encourage you, you're not stuck in the situation you're in. You can change your situation anytime you decide to. Anytime you get fed up enough to say, I'm not going to let this happen any longer. I'm going to make a change. You can do that. And so God wants us to, to lead lives like that. Joshua 1.6 says, be strong and courageous for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I will give them. So God is speaking to the men today. He's saying, you are the one to lead your family. You are the one to lead your marriage. You are the one to protect your children. You are the one to provide for your family. You are the one to be the first to say, I'm sorry. You are the one to be the first at the altar. You are the one to be the first to sacrifice. God calls you to take the lead. We're called to lead. So I just wanna challenge you. I wanna give you some quotes today. There's a guy, I love his books, a guy named John Eldridge. He wrote a book called Wild at Heart. There's some great quotes in this book. In fact, if you're in a men's group in our church, this should be your next read as a men's group. It's really powerful. Listen to this quote. He said, he created Adam for adventure, battle and beauty. He created us for a unique place in his story and he is committed to bringing us back to the original design. So men and women were created to have dominion over our situations. Then it goes on to say this in verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Very specifically, he makes us male and female. And for some reason, we think we can blur the lines on this. But the Bible is very clear on this. And I, I want to say something that may not be politically correct, but I'm really trying to protect a generation. This is actually not our decision. God decides our sex. You don't decide your sex. This is already clear. Even if there is a minority in leadership, in the government, or in the medical profession, or wherever, and I know there's a lot of good people in all those professions too that don't believe this garbage, but even if those who are in charge are saying this is so, it doesn't make the case. It just doesn't. In fact, I have a good friend. His daughter went to college in California, and she has a good friend that is a, the biological girl that thinks she's a boy. So when she was in high school in California, she went to see a doctor. They began to give her puberty blockers. Today, this girl is practically crippled because your body's not meant to do that. God's already decided this for you. At worst, it's bad medicine. But, but I mean, at best, it's bad medicine. At worst, it's honestly arrogance to believe that somehow we're God and we decide that. God decided that for us. And so if someone's struggling with this, we should have compassion for them. But the answer is not to lead them into something that's going to go nowhere. The answer is to say, there is a better way. God made you and so embrace who you are. God's scripture is very clear on this. Now there's a scripture about this too. I just want to take just a moment because it's such a hot issue right now in today's world. Deut Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 does directly talk about this. It says this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. The word abomination means it's not supposed to be this way. That's what it means. It was not designed to be like this. Now, I want to just, just mention something that you're not going to hear in the media. The media will not cover the, ver the word I'm going to tell you next. But this is very common. 
and anyone in psychology already knows his terms if they deal with sexual issues, there's a word that they don't want to bring up when they talk about these drag shows that these people are trying to put on in libraries. And here's the word. The word is autogenophilia. Autogenophilia means this is where a man is turned on sexually by dressing like a woman. This means that men are sexually turned on while they dress like a woman and they want to do this with your children. How can you not see the obvious perversion of this? And so we need to call it out for what it is and stand up against this. We cannot, listen, guys, right now, our country, the people who are approving of this, we are committing national child abuse. And God will judge us as a country if we do not stop this. So we have to take a stand and say this is wrong. It's wrong, straight up. Now I wanna shift gears out of that if I can. And I wanna talk about the fact that God did make a man to be masculine. For some reason we use the word masculinity and we always now attach the word toxic to it. But there is such a thing as healthy masculinity. There's nothing wrong with being a man. It's a good thing. God made you to be a man, men. And so he did not make men to act like women or women to act like men. He made you to be who you are. I want to give you a quote, though. This is important, ladies. We need to understand this, too, about, about our man. I want to just teach you something. John Eldridge put it best. He said this, Emasculation happens in marriage as well. Women are often attracted to the wilder side of a man, but once having caught him, they settle down to the task of domesticating him. Ironically, if he, if he gives in, he'll resent her for it, and she in turn will wonder where the passion has gone. So ladies, I want to challenge you. Let your man be a man. Let him have that risk-taking warrior side of him. That is healthy. That is strong. I always joke around with my wife that she likes movies where one guy dies slowly over 90 minutes. I like movies where 90 guys die in the first minute. You know what I'm talking about, guys? It's true, right? And so, because men are built to be warriors, we have a fight in us. And so that's a good thing, not a bad thing. And so if you'll let us be the fighter, guess what? We'll fight for our families. We'll fight for what's right. We'll fight to protect our children. We'll fight to do the things God's called us to do. That's a good quality. It's not a bad quality. I'm convinced the reason why that we're trying to emasculate men in our culture is because the government knows that an emasculated man will not rise up against the government. But I want to challenge you, we're not supposed to be controlled by the world. God has called us to our own destinies. We're supposed to follow him. And so embrace the masculine soul, men, that God gave you. There's no shame in that. That's a good quality about you. So embrace how God made you to be. It goes on in verse 28. Then God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So I love this. He, he tells us, be fruitful, multiply. This is right before he brings Adam into, into the world. And so notice this. God gives us our purpose before we get people. Purpose comes first. I think we forget this. And I want to talk to the men in the room who are having a hard time finding happiness. A lot of men are depressed. They don't talk about it much. Men just kind of go into their own world. This is where they go out in the garage and tinker. They have a back room where they do whatever they want to do. And, and they just kind of go in their own little world. But men, oftentimes we do that because we're unhappy. But I believe one of the things that leads to unhappiness is because we're not living on our purpose. The best way to know what you're called to do with your life is just ask this question. How has God wired me? 
If you want to know about a Jeep, what the creators wanted when they built a Jeep, just look at it. I mean, it's built for off-road. It's terrible gas mileage, right? You don't want to go on a long trip in that thing. It's uncomfortable. But if you're off-road, you want to be in a Jeep. You know what you don't want to be off-road in? You don't want to be in a Honda Civic. Bad idea. That's not going to go well. Long trip, good gas mileage, perfect for that, right? And so what that tells me is that the build of the vehicle tells me what the creator meant for the vehicle to be used for. So if you're doing something that you're not built to do, of course you're going to be unhappy. So look at how God wired you and say, God, how did you make me get in your natural habitat? That's how God built you. One of the ways to know the purpose of God is how has he created you? Follow that. And if you'll do that, you will discover in that when you fulfill your purpose, when you're doing what God made you to do, you just are happier. Does that help someone today? How has God wired you? do those things. And the reason I want to bring this up too is because a lot of young men are chasing after women right now. And I hear this all the time. Men are like, I'll be whatever you need me to be. Run from that guy. That's a guy who doesn't know who he is. That's a disaster. You should know who you are and what you want before you ever even think about asking someone to join you in this journey. You should already know where you're going. This is how John Eldridge puts it. A man needs a much bigger orbit than a woman. He needs a mission, a life purpose. He needs to know his name. That means know who he is. Only then is he fit for a woman, for only then does he have something to invite her into. Isn't that great? Men, figure out what God's calling you, the direction you're supposed to go in your life first before you ever try to invite someone into it. Otherwise, you're inviting someone to chaos. You're inviting someone to join you when you don't even know where you're going yet. So figure that out first. Now, I may have not done everything right in my life, but the one thing I'm really thankful for is that when I met my wife, I already knew what I wanted to do and where I was going in life. And I'm not saying that things don't adjust in life. They do, I understand that. But I knew exactly who I was, what I wanted. And so let me tell you something. Men, women find it attractive when a man knows who he is in Christ and knows where he's going. So figure that out first before you do anything else. Psalms 139 says, you saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. So our purpose is created even before we were. So figure out what God's calling you to do and fulfill that purpose. You know, as a church, we have a clear purpose. Our purpose is to reach as many people as we can, right? We know we're, we're here to do what? What's our mission statement? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, Period. What is that? That's just Matthew 28, 8, 28, 19, which says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. We take that really serious around here. You know, we have an annual offering we've been doing and many of you are still contributing to that. I wanna say thank you. If you've not weighed in yet, it's not too late. We, we're not quite at the goal. We're almost there, but we just need you to weigh in still to make a difference. But you know, one of the, one of the leading things we're doing is, is going into Pakistan and reaching that country for Christ. Recently, I was sent a video by my man on the ground named Moses. This guy's an incredible guy. And he actually ended up, he had a videographer with him when he went into this village to do some ministry. And we ended up in real time capturing a miracle. There was a woman who has not been able to speak for months. She's been demon possessed and God sets her free. Check this out. This is what you're giving to. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. I'm so blessed to tell this, that our Lord Jesus is alive and his name is powerful. Today is the day of Pentecost and this woman was a demon possessed. When she was unable to speak. But when I started praying for her, 
सारी वॉइस को हुक्म देता हूँ And Holy Spirit came upon her, and she was healed today. And now she has taken the baptism also. Oh, we say thanks to God. So that Tali Bachayenge. Hallelujah. Hey, Narad. So, so, आप कैसा महसूस कर रहे हैं? How are you feeling? She is saying that I am feeling so good now. आप आजाद हैं? Are you free? She says yes. I am free in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thanks God for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and it was expected through baptism here when I came here. But when a woman who was a demon possessed was healed, so many people from this village came forward to take baptism and to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and we are His followers. Thanks to God for all the new lives that has come to Christ and have taken baptism. Thank you for your prayers. Let's go! Miracles are happening, guys, because of that woman being freed from that demonic oppression. Because she was able to speak again, twenty-eight people accepted Christ right around her as well. They all said, "Your God is real. We want to know your God." This is incredible. This is in an Islamic-dominated area in Pakistan. God is moving. I just want you to understand that your church is on the front lines doing the work of God. When you give here, you're giving to change lives for real. And so I want to thank you for that. You know, I can't even use his real name, by the way. And the reason why is because there's authorities in Pakistan that want to shut him down. They don't want him doing what he's doing. We're in a battle. And the battle is real. And this is why we need that aggressive nature that God has given men to say we will take new ground for God. And I thank God for that. I thank God for Moses and what God's doing through him. Let's just give God a hand for what God's doing through his church. I love it. I do. I love it. Genesis 2 goes on to say this. And so basically we have a purpose to fulfill. But this is also really important. Before God gave Adam Eve, God gave Adam a job. Check this out. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and they produced del uh, delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life and a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. That's his job, right? Then it says, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you surely will die. So what, why is God giving Adam a job? He's giving him authority and boundaries. He's giving him responsibility. This is so critical. I just want to just say this because the next generation is really struggling right now. I, I've seen this a lot as a pastor. We, we have a lot of campuses. I talk to a lot of young people. And a lot of young men are having a hard time not only getting a job but keeping the job. And this is because where they're lacking boundaries. What's a boundary? A boundary is this is what time you show up. This is what time you leave. This is what I need you to do. I need this turned in in time. I need it to be done. I need you to have a good attitude. I need you to work with these people. I need this project accomplished. That's the struggle. Why? Well, for one thing, we've handed our children a device, a little phone that has no boundaries on it at all. 
They've had zero boundaries for years. Then it's so addictive that they stay up half of the night. They don't have the boundary of going to bed on time, the boundary of turning off the video games, the boundary of how to control what they're looking at, what they're saying, what, who they're talking to, what they're doing. And so then we expect them to suddenly walk in and have all this, this structure when they've been living a life unstructured. So we need to think through this, guys. This is where I need men to engage. Listen, you need to take hold of this and recognize that you've got to take hold of technology before technology takes a hold of your kid. This is such a critical thing. And then young men, it's time to recognize this stuff is breaking you. And so we're sitting in our rooms all night looking at pornography, looking at doing dumb things. It's destroying lives. And so I wanna challenge you, get out of your room, go get a job. Go do some responsibilities. Get your homework done. Start to excel in school. Start to excel in your work. Start saving money. Start building your body at the gym. Do something that's productive. This will immediately give you confidence. This will give you the confidence that you may be lacking. Before God gave Adam uh, uh, Eve, he gave Adam a job. And so this is so critical that we learn to do this. And if you struggle, listen, if, if, if you lose your job, if you're having a problem, if you, someone gets on you at work, take responsibility for it. Don't point the finger at someone else. Say, you know what? I own that. I need to work on that. I'll change that. I'll get better. So take responsibility for your life because our culture is teaching everyone to point the fingers at someone else rather than say, I'll take responsibility for my own life. If you're not happy with your income, you can change your income by working harder. If you're not happy with where you're at in life, you can change your position. You can change your situation by pouring more in. So I just wanna challenge you with that. Quick bonus point. This is especially for men because men care a lot about wealth. And so, but this is also in the Bible. Right here in Genesis 1, God gives us the key to wealth building. Not the key to earning more money, the key to wealth building. There's a difference. Check it out. It says in Deuteronomy, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 2. It says, a river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden, and then dividing into four branches. Here's your bonus point for the day. If you want a plush garden life, you need to take your one stream and turn it into four. This is important. Now, do not confuse this with a side hustle. A side hustle still takes your time. I'm not talking about that. Listen, men, listen, listen, listen. Actually, you need your money working for you, not simply you working a second job. Because if you do a second job, guess what? You're overstressed. You don't have time for family. You don't have time for relationship, time for God, time for rest. So instead, the answer is to take a portion of what you have and get that portion working for you through investments, through real estate, through angel investing, things like that. All kinds of creative ways you can have that money work for you. Does that make sense? So I just want to encourage you, just throwing that out. Hopefully that can help someone today. But last thing I want to say is this. The Bible is very clear about this. God said, it is not good for man to be alone. This is a huge deal. God does not want us to be alone. It says this, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of Adam and he brought her to the man. Then it goes on to say, this explains why man leaves his father and his mother is joined to his wife. The two united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Now, this is huge. I don't know if you realize this, ladies, but you are the crown jewel of all creation. God waited to make you till the very end. In fact, he said, hey, Adam, come over here. I made all these animals. I want you to name all of them. And he knows that they're all in pairs, right? He's like, those two horses, there's the, there's the, the, the mommy and the daddy horse, right? There's the, the boy and the girl dog, the boy, all, everything, right? And he realized everyone has a, a partner but me. And God says, ah, you noticed that. Why don't you go take a nap, Adam? 
Adam takes a nap. He takes a rib out of Adam. Adam wakes up. Oh, I'm a little sore. What's going on? And then he shows up and says, Adam, this is your partner. This is Eve. He didn't just walk up there. He walked up with Eve naked. She was totally naked. God, you know, God knew what he was doing. Adam's like, God, you definitely knew what you were doing. This is awesome. <laughs> right? So you're the crown jewel, right? When a man walks up to her, to, when I walk up to my wife and I'm naked, she's like, baby, put some clothes on. What are you doing? <laughs> if she starts taking her clothes off, I'm getting popcorn. I'm like, this is great. This is entertainment. This is awesome. Very different how we see each other, right? You're beautiful to us. God designed you that way. It's not good for man to be alone. He desires to be in a relationship. But Ephesians 5 tells us, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. Men, you are to rescue your wife. That's what that means. If my wife has a problem, I should not sit still until that problem is solved. It is my job to make sure her problem goes away. Does that make sense? Men, take this job seriously. It's your job to be the rescuer of your wife. If she's in need, fix the need, whatever it is. Early on in our marriage, my wife would, one time she came to me, she said, oh, I have this problem. This person said this and person said that. And I got in the car, she's like, where are you going? I'm gonna go talk to the person. She's like, oh, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I'm gonna go fix it. She's like, no, 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 you can't do that. I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go right now. And I had to explain to her, honey, it's not my job just to listen to the problem. I'm supposed to fix it. So I drove over and confronted the person. I just, we're gonna deal with this right now. That's what leadership looks like. You don't let the problem stay in your wife's life. You fix the problem. That's our job, men. That's our role. There is a confrontational nature to men that's healthy. We're supposed to be not, not fighting with our families. We're supposed to be fighting for your families. That's a good thing. God built that in us. John Eldred said, put it this way, deep in his heart, every man longs for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. God calls us to that. Psalms 57 says this, I cry out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. Men, you weren't built, built to be alone. I didn't know that I got this right till later on in life. I didn't know. But I went from my parents' home, where I was never alone, but I was always in my family, and then I moved into college and I had a roommate. And then I went from one roommate to many roommates. And then I went from roommates to getting engaged, to getting married. And I went straight from living with a roommate to living with my wife. I never had an alone season. And I didn't realize how healthy it was until I see a lot of young men living alone. And older men too. When men are alone, they develop really poor habits and addictions. So I wanna challenge you men this may sound like some funny advice, but again, I'm just talking as a father. It's okay, can I be a dad right now? Maybe you need to find a roommate, not a girl, a guy. <laughs> Another dude that can hold you accountable because you do better that way. What we do now is we have, we have a whole generation sitting at home alone with a phone in their hand in bed. This is a really bad idea. And so you weren't meant to be alone. This creates a pornography problem. This creates addictive nature to the phone. This creates a, a low self-esteem. We're meant to be connecting. Get outside of this little bubble you're in and go connect with other men. Men, if you're married, if you're, I, I'm a grown man. I still have very close relationship friends with men that I need in my life. Listen, I'm not so godly because I'm just godly. No, I, I wanna walk with God because the reason how this works for me is if I step out of line, I have godly men who will call me out. If, if I were to say something inappropriate that didn't go from God's word, there are men in this room that know me that would say, what'd you just say? 
Why did you say that? They love me enough to hold me accountable and I love them enough to hold them accountable. I'm in relationship with men. We need each other. Does that make sense? God speaks to that. Let the older women teach the younger women. The Bible says, let the older men teach the younger men. We need one another. We need accountability with each other. And so this is so critical. But it begins when you finally recognize you also need to come in relationship with God himself, men. It's time to reconnect with your creator. This is where you'll find a fountain of peace that you've been missing. I want to ask right now, all of our campuses, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you stand to your feet? I feel so strongly about this message. I really do. Men, we're missing it. God has so much for us. And I believe he's speaking to you today. He's saying, come home. He's saying, come back to me. Come home. And right now, with every head bowed across all of our campuses, I want to invite the men, if you feel led to come forward, to lead right now and say, I want to be the first to repent. I want to be the first to come get my life right with God. You come forward, men, and you honor the Lord. If God's speaking to you, you do that. Maybe you got your boy with you. Grab him and show him what it looks like to be a man to lead your family spiritually. So, Pastor, there's only a couple guys come forward to my campus. Well, that's a couple families that have been changed. Men, you want to know the spiritual temperature in your family? Stick the thermometer in your mouth. Because how you're doing spiritually is how your family's going to do. And if your family's hurting, it's because you're hurting. If your family's off course, it's because you're off course. If your family has the wrong values and priorities, it's because we have the wrong values and priorities. Men, let's get our lives right. Let's put God first in our lives. Let's show our children and our wives what biblical manhood looks like, to honor the Lord, to put God first in our lives. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. I'm so proud of you. That's what it looks like, men. You're putting God first. You're honoring Him. And when you do that, men, we hurt too. But when we hurt, we don't tell anyone. Listen, God forgives you of your sin when you ask Him. But you'll continue in that sin until you invite another man in your life to say, I need your help. I need you to hold me accountable. I, we need each other. Come on, men. Put your arm around each other. Would you do that? We, we need each other right now. We're not alone. We're not alone. We're together. Warriors stand tall when they stand beside each other. We need one another. I'm so proud of you, and I love the fact that the next generation is seeing this because this is what we're called to do, to be men of God. You know, God calls us the army of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to put a woman on the front line. That's our job. We take the hits. I want to challenge you to be the man God's called you to be. Just tell the Lord, I'm coming back to you, God. I'm coming back to you. Maybe today your prayer time is to say, God, I've got some habits, some addictions that I've been doing on my own. I got to come out of this, God. I need your help. God's very clear. He'll forgive you, but you need one another to be healed. Confess your sins one to another. That's how God heals us. So men, I want to challenge you this week to get with a brother, to find someone that you trust. Take that risk. Say, hey, I, I, just, I just need to talk to someone. Can we get, can we get lunch? Can we get dinner? Can we call each other every couple of days and just check in, man? Just, just, just a quick prayer, just something. We need one another. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Now is the time. Now is the time.
Bible says today is the day of your salvation. Receive him right now. Pray this prayer with me. Just say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer and no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ? Just hold your hand high. Thank you. There are hands going up all across our churches right now. Hold your hands high. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. All the way in the back. Thank you. We see you. Thank you, Rodfield. Praise God. Thank you, Stone Oak. Hold that hand high. Praise, we, praise God. We see your hand. Thank you, Rockport Fulton. Thank you, Padre Island. Hold that hand high. If you're online with us right now, you just gave your life to Christ, you can let us know by putting in the text chat. Just text my hands raised or click hand raised right now. We thank God for you. God says, come home. Come home. You're not alone. I'm with you. Lord, thank you, God, for your truth today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these men of God who are honoring you and putting you first. God, thank you that it's just not just a man who walked forward, but their family will be changed because they are changing. Thank you for that, God. And thank you, Lord, that you are a good, good heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord. Every Sunday is our Heavenly Father's Day. And we love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing through your word today. Thank you for the healing that's happening right now. Thank you for how you purify us, how you make us new, how you set us free from that guilt and that shame. And Lord, thank you that you embrace us as a father. May we follow your truth, follow your word, and live out your purpose. Thank you for these mighty warriors who are putting you first by bowing the knee. Thank you, God, for your word today. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true. Give these men a hand. Would you do that?